What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Anthony Puccio of NetsDaily.com is here. It's also my birthday today and a beautiful day in Atlanta. Anthony, how are you? How is New York right now? New York is still freezing and happy birthday, Chase. Just want to throw that out there. Thank you. And it's freezing today. Okay. It's like 80 here today. Where are you? I'm in Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't gotten nice weather in like eight months. So, well, it's coming. It's almost there. We're almost in May. Um, huh? So, things are getting better. It's getting warmer. The <coughs> Nets are winning more games. They won, what, eight games more this season than they did a year ago. Sean Marks is still not ready to start judging seasons with wins and losses. However, I still want to ask you first off, like, do you think this was a successful season for the Nets this year? Yeah, I would say considering the hand that they were dealt and, you know, the adversity that they faced, uh, they came into the season with a pretty young team to begin with anyway. And, and you lose a guy like Jeremy Lin on the first game. You lose D'Angelo Russell after 12 games, and and he's out for 33 games. So, you know, right there, you're you're already shorthanded, kind of coming into the season, and then you lose two of your best players. Um, to see the the obviously the eight win improvement is is a is a good sign, but I think the internal gains that they had, the development of guys like Spencer Dimwitty and and Karis Levert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, you know. I could keep going with Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I think the internal gains like that, the development that they've spoken about, I think for that alone, it outweighs the wins and losses, even though they don't have their pick, obviously, as we know. Yeah, I mean, we're nearing the end of that too, but I do think it's interesting, and you point out the injury stuff, is that they were kind of injury riddled, but like certain guys that we've come to expect are going to be injury riddled, like uh, Damari Carroll, who played, I think, like 73 games this year. 
So yeah. he was healthy for the majority of the year, and he's like the leader of that locker room. And they could have traded him the deadline and potentially gotten something interesting for him because he was healthy and he had a really good year. I think he made the most threes of his career. And they didn't. And I think part of that is just the culture they're building and just having a couple of vets because this is a really young roster. And um, it's it's just fascinating because, I mean, Alan Crabb, I think, ultimately was a success. He hit a lot of threes. I think he broke the Nets, like, single-season record for most threes. Um but yeah, I mean, you talked about Russell who missed a lot of games. You had, uh, but he came back strong, and he's seems like someone who oh, I'm still a little concerned about the defense stuff. But he flirts with like averaging. He might be like the Russell Westbrookian type player in a couple of years, where he's just averaging close to a triple double every season. And um, something that I thought was interesting with him, and this is part of the stability stuff that Sean Marks talking about, where. Uh, they finally have a bunch of guys that they can keep in the system. It's not fair for him to ask Kenny Atkinson to keep um, dealing with like a, ro- a, a roster that has like 22 to 23 di- different names every year. So there's continuity there, and he wants to give Kenny the opportunity to like see this through where it's like he spent a lot of time with the guys you mentioned, Russell, Jefferson, um, Levert, all those guys. And Russell's had five different head coaches in five years. And that dates back to his last year in high school, I believe. But it, uh, that stuff matters, especially for someone like Russell. And they gave up, uh, I mean, they gave up Lopez in a pick, but it's a big gamble. Um, I, I just think a lot of these pieces are just pretty fascinating right now. Yeah, they, they have some interesting pieces. And, and you get into D'Angelo Russell and, and how he had five different coaches in the last five years. Um, I actually spoke with him a couple of weeks ago at the last game and uh, wrote an article about it, how he really, really does appreciate Kenny Atkinson. Like Atkinson was a little hard on him this season, and mm-hmm. it's only because he has higher expectations for him. For example, like against the Miami Heat, after six minutes, Russell turned the ball over two times, was 0 for 5 from the field. Like His, his decision-making was bad. His defense was really bad. Goran Dragic was going off, so... So Kenny benched him the rest of the game, and there was a lot of you know outroar roar from the fans and, and and people going crazy over it. But I think now that the season is settled and and people have time to think about it, and really what Atkinson's intentions are is is again he has higher expectations for him, and it's not a it's not a bad thing when a coach does that. It's more just look, I I see a lot in you, I see the potential, I want you to get there, and after speaking with D'Angelo, it sounds like he knows that. Again, even though this is his again fifth fifth coach in five years, he knows that if there's going to be a coach that's going to help him take that next step, develop, it's going to be Kenny Atkinson. So you're definitely right. His defense needs to get better. Um, he wants to become more of a leader. He told me, and that's something that you know Magic Johnson dissed him on the way out. So I think yeah. I think that definitely stuck with him, mm-hmm. even though he won't admit it. I think that's, that's definitely good, though. Uh, like the chip on your shoulder thing. I think matters. I think that's good for him. Oh, sure, for sure. And I, he needs that. He needs that. Mm-hmm. But the first step, and what I was saying is, the first step is is buying into this this Brooklyn Nets culture, which is is totally team oriented. Mm-hmm. You have so many guys that play very very similar minutes. Very rarely do they get over thirty two minutes. You know, so. It's not that one man attitude or or one man show. There was only four guys who scored thirty or more points this se- this season, and Russell was mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, so again, it's it's. I think he took that first step in in buying into the team oriented culture. Now it's about making that leap and becoming a better leader, 
improving his defense and, and cutting the turnovers down. So I think I think a summer, a full summer anyway, with Kenny Atkinson and the coaching staff will will be huge for him. You know what I like though is that they've at least because uh, it does seem like he is still like they gave up a lot for him. Like he's still the centerpiece, especially without the pick and everything else that they're banking a lot on his development. What Kenny can do with him, but they're putting a bunch of plus defenders around him like jared allen who i really like um he's come on he seems like someone who's going to be an awesome defender down the stretch they've moved uh jefferson to the four full time and that's been huge for his development he's obviously a plus defender damari carroll when he's healthy and everything else he's a plus defender um i i like the idea of surrounding him with as much wing depth and as much uh, plus defensive players as possible because at the best case scenario for someone like him, I think it's a passable defender where it's just like he doesn't kill you, kind of like where Harden got to, where you just, it's just not embarrassingly bad. But he's so much fun to watch. And I, I'm a Russell guy. I hope it works out. And his passes, I mean, they're just, when he's on, like, I forgot who they were playing down the stretch of the season, but I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about with the no look zip pass he had that just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just so rare to see someone pass the way he does, but it's different, unique, and it's fun. That's that, that's how you would describe his passing, right? Like It's almost so unexpected because he's looking one way and the ball ends up elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I don't remember I, what who they were playing, but it was in the lane. It was someone cutting. It was a backdoor cut, and he saw I the ball. I think it was Chicago. Yeah, that sounds right. Hollis Jefferson. I could be wrong, but... He made some spectacular passes that game. And that's the D'Angelo that they want to see. They want to see him pass like that. They want to see him do it, but do it wisely, not take yeah. too many risks. Do you think Dominique Wilkins is still raving about Jaleel Okafor on the Nets? Or is that finally <laughs> done? Because that is my biggest know. memory probably this season for the Nets is Wilkins. Like the Hawks broadcast <laughs> booth is atrocious. But they the Nets were in town. I think this was a couple months ago. And this was like right after the jaw trade. And he was getting some minutes, and I think it was only like he only played like twenty, maybe twenty minutes. But he was posting up, he was getting buckets. It was fine. It it was whatever. It was a lot of empty calorie buckets and everything else. But Wilkins was just raving and ranting about the Sixers screwed this kid, and like he's just <laughs> so good. Look at all. He's just so talented. Look at everything he's doing inside, and he was getting killed. Like the Nets were not succeeding with him in the lineup. It was just clear that this doesn't doesn't work and i feel bad for him but at the same time like i think there is a place if he was a good defender and he's just not and it's just he doesn't really do it. I, I just i don't get it but um I, it was fun for those week i uh, maybe not even two weeks but of just like oh he's free maybe he's in a perfect spot now the nets are gonna push him they're gonna do this and it's like no they're not jared allen's pretty awesome and there's no need for jelly Loke for ever to play on the Nets. yeah, yeah. um it's it's tough with Jalil. I think I think you'll see him come back on a on a very very low deal, probably a one year. So you think he's back in Brooklyn next year? I think so. I think okay. just because they want to give him a chance to to get in the gym with with the coaching staff this summer mm-hmm. and see if he can expand his game. But I, I know just talking to people on the inside that you know they even said that his he could score, but you know. So oh, what? Dominique you know, knows he can score. Yeah, oh, that dude can Dominique, get buckets. He love, love that. But but oh. what they say is, you know, what about the other things? What about yeah. his rebounding? What about his defense? What about him running up the floor on a fast break? You know, he he can't run and, and with these guys, especially with the with the fast pace that the Nets have been playing at. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's why Jared Allen has thrived because he can. Yeah. He can get up and down the floor. He's one of the best rim runners I've seen for somebody his age. And he can also but, just murder people on poster dunks. So that, well, that also too. helps too. That's yeah. too. Yeah, his seven six wingspan helps and the afro, you know. He's great. Climactic. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's But he's no John Collins. I have to say that he is no John Collins. Um, but outside of that, he's pretty awesome. He's uh he's he's like the perfect uh presser for Brooke Lopez. Oh, okay. Like do you miss Brooke at all? Similar. What'd you say? Do you miss Brooke at all? In Brooklyn? Of course, Brooke of course. Brooklyn. Brooke, okay. Brooke was the man. He was he was such a, a good locker room presence and obviously he was great on the court while he was here. Mm-hmm. Uh he expanded his game with Kenny Atkinson in his first year and hit a bunch of threes after hitting like I don't know, six in his career or something. So, mm-hmm. but just just him being in the locker room and and talking to the media and seeing how he interacted with the other guys, he was he was a class act, Brooke. Even though you know he really did get the short end of the stick for nine seasons, it's at the very least he has the scoring record. So, yeah, he's missed. He's missed by the guys that are actually still here that that know him. Do you think Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson are safe with Joe at Joe Sia? Is it Tasai or Sai? The new uh, Ty. Joe Ty. Ty. Okay. Um, he's slow. I don't know how many people know that he's slowly getting complete control from the Nets gradually from Mikhail Prokhorov. Do you think there is potential for some weird stuff behind the scenes? Like, I, I don't know. I always think it's interesting that, um, I mean, it's not Prokhorov's guy anymore. And it's, I don't know. Do you think there's a potential like riff at some point? I mean, they're very vocal about um, this offseason of just they're going to spin when the time is right and we're inching closer to them really trying to compete and everything and win games. But uh, do you think there's a possibility that Marks and Atkinson um, may not be there in a couple of years, depending on what happens with Joe Ty? That's the question that I think everybody's asking. Uh, I don't think that necessarily Sean Marks or Kenny Atkinson will be gone but mm-hmm. um you know after the press conference the end of season press conference with Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson the tone kind of changed a little bit um they weren't saying playoffs or anything like that but it was more like um we want to see what's out there we want to we're we don't think progress is enough anymore like this eight win and this weight eight win improvement wasn't enough for us and Sean Marks was saying how it's not fair for Kenny Atkinson to keep getting these 22 23 different players every year and and trying to do the best he possibly can with and which he has you know look at last season 28 wins with I mean you look at that roster without Lynn and, and D'Angelo Russell you have a hard time knowing who at least three of those guys are you know, so, you know what I love though is they won seven of thirteen to close this year, and I think a lot of that had to do with like everybody else at the bottom end is trying to lose, and there's just a third of the league was tanking down the stretch, and you have like owners getting uh, like berating their coaches apparently for winning games down the stretch, and the Nets are over here like, no, we'll gobble up all of these wins. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I love that. It, it worked for both teams. That's what yeah. made it so great. But with Joe Ty, I think he's so committed. Um, he's a winner. This guy is somebody that that is that is so committed. He's to winning mm-hmm. that you know he he doesn't want to wait as long. So I think, look, it is year three. You know, like I understand that the hand they they were dealt was tough, but it is year three. It's time to start making moves on this because you know Brooklyn Brooklyn's trying to establish a fan base and a brand, and it, it's been six seasons. 
and they made the playoffs for three of those seasons, but it just it, it was never there, you know, like it was never enough to really build a foundation or a fan base. Um, so I think with Ty, I think he's not going to force them to to completely alter their their direction, but I think he's definitely going to like put a spark under them and say, all right, let's get this ship moving. And I think that's what we heard from Sean Marks the other day is that it's not about progress. It's not about development anymore. Now it's time to go out there and, and see who we can get for the right price. I wouldn't be surprised actually if they, they made something happen this summer, whether it be a trade or, or just threw a lot of money at a restricted free agent. I don't know who the right guy is for them, though. I mean, you have Russell locked in at the one, and it's going to be interesting to see if he comes off the bench next year because Lynn signed with the Nets because he wanted a starter job. And, I mean, he's had, obviously, the injury issues, and he only lasted not even a full game this year before he went down in that awful injury. But I wonder what the plan is for their backcourt next year. I mean, it's getting crowded. Like, Joe Harris was awesome. He shot, like, 41% from three. Um you just have a lot of guys, Levert, it's just a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of rotation minutes. But like you said, Kenny Atkinson does a good job of playing a lot of different guys and using a lot of different guys and not overplaying them and that kind of stuff. But I do wonder what that rotation, I mean, we haven't even talked about Dinwiddie yet, really. And he seems like someone that, um, you watched a lot of this team this year. Do you think he was someone that really benefited from uh, the Lynn injury? Like, do you think that he has this sort of jump if Lynn's healthy all year and if Russell's healthy. I wonder how much of like his development was just an opportunity type thing where he just was next man up and he took advantage and he's good. I mean, still, not, I'm still not like totally in on a shot, but he is so good at getting to the rim. He's so interesting and it's different. Like I've always seen was like Sean Livingston ish. And I think that's fine, especially um, considering what they got, where they got him, and what he's making, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what do you make of that whole situation and like that decision this summer? And if Lynn's gonna be the starter to start next season, or like, how do you think that all shakes out? I think I think they have no other choice but to start Jeremy Lynn and, and Russell. Okay, backcourt. And I, I don't know how long Lynn is going to be here. If mm -hmm. he shows that he's capable of still playing and coming back stronger. I mean, I saw him at, like I said, at the exit interviews and, and he was stronger, a lot stronger at his upper body. He said he was going to change his mechanics in terms of cutting and shooting. So, you know, that's something that we have to see if, if he can still play and, and how he's going to play. Um, I think eventually they'll they'll move him. He's an expiring contract, and he might be able to help a playoff team at the deadline if he's playing well. So mm -hmm. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is that ideal backup point guard, regardless of who is in the back. I agree. Yeah, you know, like he he comes in, he controls the tempo, he knows he knows how to set up the offense. The ball is moving. He's like, like Terry Rozier for the Nets. Yeah, yeah. Just like so a like you don't really want him to be your starting point guard in today's NBA, just with how deep that position is. But it's also like this dude's really good and he has a place. It's just it's it's interesting. But do you think he would accept coming back as a six man after the year he's had, or do you think they're gonna have to move him and sell high? I would sell high honestly at this point. If you want to bring back Lynn, and obviously he's got the one year left on his deal, but um, I don't know. I think I might sell high on him this summer and see what else you can get because I mean this team needs. To continue acquiring more assets and um replenishing the cabinet so i, I don't know I, I think his value it's hard to see his value getting better than uh it is right now 
Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious to see if they they pull something on draft night, like if if they would maybe package that 29th pick they have from Toronto and and somebody like Dinwiddie and try and move up. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that would intrigue me. And I I think out of everybody, he probably is the most likely to be packaged in something like that. And I only say that because you know nobody's going to want to take Damari Carroll right now. Nobody's going to want to take Jeremy Lin right now. Yeah. But especially Dinwiddie, you might want to take a chance on if you need a, a backup point guard or, you know, if you're, I I would say, a lower-tier team than a starting point guard. But um, I, I think... Oh, if I'm oh. the Nets, I'm calling Stan Van Gundy and the Pistons every day this summer. <laughs> How much do you want Dinwiddie back? Like, I, I just, I think that's who I'd be calling and seeing if I can get Stanley Johnson out of it or something. So what do you think his value is then? Because I, I mean... Is it a pick? Is it is it a Stanley Johnson type of player? You know, I think that's what I would think. I think you would like target a team that has like Charlotte. Maybe you see what happens there because I could see him playing next to Kemba, and I could see him doing it. Like they need another point guard to share with him, and they need um, who knows what they're going to do with Cupcheck in charge now. But I would target him. I don't think he's going to be worth like a first round pick. Like there's just too many good point guards in this league. So I think I would target like a lottery pick from the last couple of years, kind of like Okafor and uh, Russell, but just not to that extent because I just don't think he's that valuable. But yeah, um, I would call teams like the Pistons, maybe the Suns, and like the Suns. I mean, if you could get Marquise Chris, like who's been a huge disappointment there, but maybe you put him in the Brooklyn culture and it's a much better situation. Yeah. Um, so that's that would be my uh, strategy if I was um, Brooklyn. I would be looking to see if I can find one more lottery pick from the last couple of years who sh- has shown flashes, but it just seems like they're on the wrong team right now. But they're still young enough where if you put them in your culture and you believe in your player development, which I think at this point it's fair to assume Kenny Atkinson's going to get a lot out of just about anybody yeah. on this roster, then you take your you take a chance on someone like that. Add because I think he might like Dinwiddie might be their last like guy that they can flip um for a pretty good asset at this point because i think you want to keep russell you want to keep alan you want to keep a lot of these guys now so um i think he might be the last one outside of lynn chase i'm hearing you, you talk about who they could get back and 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 the type of guys and i'm thinking of the game of zones episode they just came out with with sean marks i don't know if you saw it he's walking around there. It. he's he's walking around just collecting draft bus it's so fun it is yeah. so funny. but but that's kind of like you know that's that's kind of been the strategy. It's been bloated contracts and draft busts, if if that's what you want to call it. You know, a lot of these guys are still only twenty two, twenty three years old. Was it but... Anthony Bennett in and out of Long Island? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was he was with the team the first year that Marks took over, and I don't think he made it more than twenty games. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe the Grizzlies, like the Grizzly stuff. I mean, I'm going to talk about them later, but they. Uh apparently think Chris Wallace thinks that they can get back in the playoffs. And I'm, I, I want to go back and look how many teams that finished like last in their conference ended up back in the playoffs the following year. I feel like it's a pretty small list, but <clears throat> I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, one of the last things I want to ask you, then we should go. So we've touched on a lot of different intriguing guys in this roster. I mean, we talked about Jared Allen. We've talked about Joe Harris a little bit, but like, who are you most excited about? Um, is it Russell? Is it is that too obvious? Like, let's do outside of Russell. Who is the most intriguing player on this roster right now that you think a lot of people should be looking out for over the next couple of years? You know, even even with Russell in the conversation, I still don't know if he's my most intriguing prospect. I think really, 
I think it's Jared Allen. I think okay. I think if you ask anybody in on the inside, they would agree with me because this kid, you know, he's 19 years old. There are questions about whether he would be in the G League to start, and and you know his strength and and the mock said that he didn't have enough passion for the game. And you know this guy came in here and look, I understand that they weren't a winning team, but he came in here and showed that that this kid he belongs on the court and that he could be something special. And he got a lot of Clint Capella. Uh, comparisons earlier in the season, but then he started to then then they started him uh, starting on I believe January 31st, so it was like mid season, and he played really well. He finished the he finished amongst rookies first in blocks per game. Um, like I said, he, his rim running is incredible. He's great in the pick and roll. His rim protection was not so good in the beginning of the season, but it got a lot better at the end, obviously, as I just mentioned with his blocks. Um, and and just just his confidence in general, you could see that that this kid is somebody that fits this modern style of basketball. Uh, he's the type of big that doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective, and that's how this offense works. That's how the modernized offenses do work. You see with Houston, they swing the ball around the perimeter and Capella just kind of camps down low, sets his pick and rolls when he needs to and runs the break when he has to. Um, that's that's how I feel about Jared Allen. I just feel like uh, he's he's exactly the type of fit that they wanted. And, and you got to think about it like this. Sean Marks had two picks to work with, and they were both in the 20s. And one was Karis LeVert, who is my second probably most intriguing player, and the first is Jared Allen. So uh, I, I think, again, these are two guys that fit the mold, and, and Jared Allen is the guy that fits the vision. And if you ask Kenny Atkinson about him, it's like he starts salivating. He he, he loves this guy a lot, and he sees a lot in him. And, he, again, he's only 19 years old, seven foot six wingspan. So, again, the upside is just out of control. I want to see how he improves next season, though. He needs to get a lot stronger. Okay. No Dante Cunningham in that list. No Dante Cunningham. <laughs> but I think I think he's back though. I, I okay. definitely think they I bring mean, him. He was back. huge for them in the second half and getting a lot of those wins down the stretch and everything else. Um, I think there's something too, like uh, just this team playing hard for 82 games. Like they just know they don't have, like they're not tanking. They don't have to have that in the back of their mind. Like Kent Bazemore, I think, was about ready to just like quit the season um, yeah. with his frustrations. And I feel like. I mean, there's a lot of debate on both sides of that, and I get both sides, but I do think that it's like starting to mess with certain guys' psyches. And for them to be able to just go into it knowing that they're trying to win every game is huge. And I, so I think we're eventually going to get to the point where it's like, uh, I think a randomized lottery with everybody is the way to go. And yeah. these playing games, I think, would be good for those last couple spots. And uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I think we're going to inch closer and closer because it certainly seems like this is getting... Like, when your owner is berating a coach for winning a game, it uh, might be time to, like, reevaluate, like, what you're doing and how you're yeah. incentivizing certain things. But yeah. Um. anyway, Anthony, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, We can find you on Twitter at apooch and read you at netsdaily.com. Is there anything that you have coming out uh, this week that we should check out? I just uh, just came out with a D'Angelo Russell feature. Um, I came out with a Jared Allen feature a couple of days ago, and just honestly, another Rondé Hollis Jefferson feature. So I'll have more stuff on Spencer Dimwitty. These are all one-on-one exclusives. And Chase, I appreciate you having me on, man. 
hasn't been an easy season, but I think the Nets are headed in the right direction. So it'll be fun to see how they blossom. Especially when Joe Harris is shooting 47% from three next year, like the <laughs> gradual 4%, 5% bump. For another um, team. <laughs> I hope not, man. I hope that dude is like a, I hope he becomes like basically like the mascot for the Nets for the next like five years of like the ultimate uh, scrap heap, Sean Marks, uh, Kenny Atkinson uh, development guy. Like I, I want him there forever, honestly. <laughs> If you put Kenny Atkinson in an NBA player's body, a 200-pound guy that's six foot six, it's Joe Harris. <laughs> there you go. You know, love it. All right, man. Well, this was a lot of fun. Let's uh, talk again soon. For sure, Chase. Thanks again. Thanks, Anthony. All right, Jason Pat is here, and Jason, I. Uh, I'm not leaving my Wizard Island take. I'm leaving that up. I'm leaving the Twitter post up. I am dealing with some serious fallback from Deadspin's Chris Thompson, who I I told him it was going to be fine. I told him this Wizard team was going to beat the Raptors. I, I'm not feeling great after last night, but I can't quit. I can't get over it. I love the image of like Bradley Beal, like head in a towel with Gortat and Wall yelling at each other. Um... I'm still not giving up on this team. I I can't get over their top eight. I can't get over what Toronto's doing, but they just this Wizards team, man. I I am way too emotionally invested in the future of the Washington Wizards. But I just I'm frustrated. I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. That's who I am with the Wizards right now. Like I bet, like they were my really my only upset pick, and they just. I don't get it. Like I thought Wall was going to be good in game two and he was for the most part, but it was, oh my it was, God. It was good, good too late. I mean, they were down by 20 points yeah. before he started next to being good. Obviously he got, he got in that foul trouble, got whatever, two fouls in the first four minutes. And then Brooks set him up, set him on the bench for the next, like basically 12 or 13 minutes. I think and it didn't totally backfire, I guess, because Mike Scott was going crazy and Ty Lawson was doing stuff. I mean, I get, but yeah, I mean, Ty still Lawson's they went, back they in still there. went down yeah. like by 20, and I think it was like 14 or 15 when he came back, and then he finally started to turn it on. And they got it down to, what, five in the fourth quarter? They got it, they yeah. got it close, but then just obviously a lot, a lot of times we see that where a team will make a big comeback and then just peter out at the end. And, yeah, I mean, just overall in the Wizards, totally with you. They've been a kind of a hot mess all season. They, they've kind of had drama. I mean, the last couple of years there was, there was the Wall and Beal drama, and we've been waiting for them to kind of take that next step. And they lost to Kelly Olynyk in a game seven last year, and now this year it looks like they're just basically going to get their ass beat. I, I mean, I would guess they'll probably win one game at home. I mean, maybe – I guess you never know. The Raptors do look like a, a different team this year with their offenses really humming along. But yeah, the, I, I don't know what to really make of the Wizards because they're going to – with Wall's uh, Supermax or whatever is going to be kicking in. Beal's obviously making a lot of money, and Beal had – one of the, probably the worst games of his career last time with nine points, three of 11 shooting, minus 34, four fouls, just complete dud of a game. But I mean, even aside from the wall and Beal, like I don't know, Porter's going to be making a lot of money and like Porter's really nice player, but I mean, he didn't, he, like, he's like a nice, maybe fourth or fifth guy and maybe not a third guy. Gortat's basically on the back end of his career. Marcus Moore, or not Marcus, Markeef is just all right. And then you look at their bench I mean, their bench did pretty well yesterday, but like Mahinmi's making sixteen million a year. Kelly Oubre's kind of tail off it. So you just like I'm just not totally sure like where they're going to take that next step with the way they're currently set up. So they definitely are a super frustrating team with where they're at right now. 
I don't like Brooks rotations. I don't like that Gortat's even starting anymore. Like <sighs> Keith's injury, we don't really know. Like that really sucked at the end of game one. What happened there? But um, Mike Scott being a interesting part is, I guess, nice for them, but also really concerning yes. that he is so critical for them at this point. Uh, Kelly Uber, I thought was going to be a bigger player in the series, but I mean, the Raptors role players have just outplayed the Wizards role players. And like the shots that Dellen Wright was hitting in game one, infuriating <laughs> because like, I'm a huge friend, Fred Van Fleet guy. I love what he's done and he's fun to watch, but he was out and I was just, it was like blood in the water. I was like, no Van Fleet. Um, the wizards are going to be trotting out wall, Beal, Porter, Keefe and Ubre for 36 plus minutes. And that will be enough. They're going to be gassed. They're not going to win like multiple series because they're going to be on the road and everything else, but they can do it. Um, for at least one series, and I'm still not ruling it out. Like if they lose Game Three, yeah, it's over. Obviously, um, <laughs> but if they win Game Three convincingly, I'm back. Like I'm not leaving. I'm staying with this take. The Wizards are still winning the series, and uh, it's at least going seven. I don't think if they lose Game Three, it's just it's gonna be a really weird offseason. Because then I think at that point, the way this team's like the makeup is, and just the kind of vibe i get is like they're in for some really rocky times yeah, like, summer, I, I, yeah I just i don't know about like blowing it like blowing it up would obviously be trading you can't trade yeah you're trading wall or beal yeah. i just don't think that's the answer but like i said like they have let me go look at their set it was like i said mahimi's making whatever his own god like that he was one of the he's like one of the underrated bad contracts that was handed out that was people think of like noah and mazgov right up there mahimi's making basically Oh, and also Jody Meeks, like, yeah. who's now suspended, who could barely shorter. walk. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I don't understand. They gave up a first-round pick last year for Boyan, and he got paid a little bit more in Indy, but like I just never understood them not keeping him. Like Even if you have to overpay, you're already in salary cap hell with this roster, but you traded up a first-round pick a year ago, and he's still a valuable asset, and he would have been really great to have in this series, especially considering they need more guys who can hit shots. Like Ty Lawson, they were having to rely on him uh, yesterday. So, I mean... At the same time, I'm glad that Ty Lawson is getting play, getting uh, chosen over Tim Frazier and uh, Ramon Sessions, who are both just awful. So I'm glad that uh, totally forget they have those guys on the, on the team. Just complete bones. Oh, yeah, God. looking at their salary, now they're 116 million guaranteed for next season because you got Porter, Beal, Wall. I guess Wall Supermax isn't kicking until 2019, and so they they already still have 108 million. In 2019, but for basically four yeah. players, Mahinmi is still owed whatever 15 million then. So like, they have to figure out. I I don't know if they like and, this roster and makes Gort, no sense. They're five point yeah, guards. And, and, they have Wall, Sedaransky. They have um. We've already talked about Frazier. They have Sessions, Lawson. Like they have five point yeah, guards. Right Mahinmi and Gortat are set to make next year a combined like 29 million to basically do God basically nothing. So like they have to. I don't know if yeah. they'll stretch one of those guys. And just get him out of there. I feel like Gortel was talking about possibly retiring soon. Mahimi, I I don't know who's going to take that contract. You're going to have to probably you'd have to probably give up a first round pick. To, I'm not totally sure what their pick situation is, but you have to give up an asset to move him. So like, I I, guess, I think they have their first rounder this year. Yeah. I think they need they probably need to draft a big man, an athletic big man, and hopefully and. I mean, to rely on a rookie next year, not really that great, but they need to get some type of an actual big man in there that's good because Gortat's over the hill and Mahinami's just not good. Uh, you mentioned that small one. I'm looking up right now. I, I I didn't see that much of the game yesterday. I was following along, but I was out running some gro- groceries. So I, 
how have they even played that small lineup that you mentioned that much? I'm trying to look it up right now. See no. how many minutes they've played together. Was that's what uh, Wall, Beal, Ubre, Morrison, and Porter. Porter. Yeah, that was yeah. like I feel like they played that a decent amount last year. Maybe I don't know. Ubre has been a big disappointment this year. He started the season really well. And I think the last couple of months he's shooting like 34, 35%. So just really apparently not, feuding with Drake. Yeah. It just has not worked out. Yeah. Looking just a quick look at the, the lineups they played so far. They definitely, if any, if they have played, it's like a couple of minutes and that's it. So that seems like definitely a, a miss step from, from old, yeah. old Scotty Brooks. I mean, I, I still like Scott Brooks and I think he's only, if he gets eliminated in the first round, I think this will be the first time he got eliminated since like the first playoff appearance with the Thunder. So it was almost a decade ago. And he, um, I don't know. I just, I believed in this veteran group, but I also just think they made a mistake not making some sort of deadline, like bench move. Like to, they should have gone after someone like Baysmore with Atlanta who um, did not enjoy the tanking down the stretch. So, I mean, obviously his salary is, um, he's making, I think, like what, sixty yeah, million uh, for the next few years. So that that'd be tough. But they they just should have called somebody. They should have brought somebody in. And just the Meek stuff really hurts. And they just they need one or two more bodies that they could rely. Bulls should have traded them. The Bulls should have traded them Justin Holiday. I, I was talking. I was. Oh, that would I was perfect. talking yeah. about this with uh, another Bulls guy the other day. We were just talking about the season, and like we were just both kind of confused why Justin Holiday wasn't traded like I, I mean i guess if they could use it the bulls are crap on the wings so maybe they'll have a role for next year but like rest, a, ton, a ton of a ton of teams could have used justin holiday and the wizards are definitely yeah one of it okay and, and i just found looks like that small lineup played two minutes it's played two minutes oh, in the playoffs fantastic. it was an absolute disaster but i mean two minutes you you can't obviously make any judgments of there and you need to play i think that's something they'll have to look at more is playing that group more often it's good you said gortas is kind of useless and he isn't isn't that much better no dire times but i i'm going down with the ship i'm going to stick with uh, it I'm stick with your guns <laughs> i'm sticking to it it's not happening um i will say though i am already just on edge over the possibility of a celtics miami heat second <laughs> round matchup that is on the table and i oh my god can you imagine one of those teams getting to the Eastern Conference Finals? I think we'll have, like <laughs> as fun as this has been and as good of a start this has been for the playoffs. Like, does anyone really want to see Celtics Heat? Even I don't think Celtics or Heat fan want to see that. Like, do you really? Like, oh my god, we almost got that in the first round with seeding, but that was a thought that I had after like the Heat beat the Sixers in Game Two, where I'm like, oh god. There's a strong possibility we're getting, I mean, from a coaching standpoint, yeah, great. Spo versus Stevens, but I just, no, thank you. I, I don't want it. So everybody, basketball fans should be rooting for the Sixers at this point, because if you. Well, Celtics no. Sixers would be great just because I feel like the uh, Twitter wars yeah. between those two fan bases will almost make it worth it in its own right. But yeah, I mean, the heat. I mean, especially because Danny Ainge did tank yeah, in the right yeah. way. And the right <laughs> way and, uh, exactly. You know. But yeah, just like the I mean, Heat game two was basically Dwayne Wade throwing up garbage, and he has his like one game a year in the playoffs these days where he just goes. No, I, I'd be shocked if he did that again. Uh, maybe he will, but he hit like whatever, like seven or eight, just like ridiculous mid range shots. The Sixers still almost won despite shooting like twenty percent from three. Like, who? I guess yeah. I mean, still the the, un, the obviously the MB thing is still up in the air. He, he was pissed off after. 
after game two, and it looks like it probably won't play in game three. I kind of thought that he would play in game three, but it seems like he, ju- he yeah. hasn't really even taken contact yet. He just, just started doing a few more drills yesterday. Uh, I mean, I feel like the Sixers are definitely the better team there, even without uh, Embiid, and Embiid would clearly put them over the top, but the Heat are just like a scrappy bunch, and if and if you get a, a Wade game like this, so they've gotten one Wade game like this, if he gives them maybe another one, like, that makes the margin for error for the Sixers even smaller. So, I, I mean, I feel like most fans would rather see Simmons and then Embiid back in the second round against the, against the Celtics. And the Celtics, I mean, they've, they've for what they have right now, I mean, they've been doing this all year with their short-handed roster, they're just pulling stuff out of their ass. I mean, Jalen Brown's a fun young player. Terry Rozier, I feel like I've seen some crazy Terry Rozier takes on the table. Like, he's a nice player. He's a good backup. He's a nice fill-in starter. I think the fact that he's just destroyed Eric Bledsoe has kind of maybe had people talking crazy about him. These days, like he's like an average starter at best. who's just had a couple of really awesome games, and so, I mean, and if you go over the the Bucks, the Bucks are just an annoying piece of garbage, trash team. Like I've been waiting for the Bucks to actually be like. <laughs> Have you seen the numbers for Jabari Parker? Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I tweeted that last night. He has so far he's played twenty nine minutes. He has two points, and he's like a my or he's twenty five minutes. He has two points, and it's like a minus twenty nine. Just that's that's gonna be it's yeah, that's gonna be a really like. I like I me being me and Bulls fans talk about like Zach, the Zach Levine situation coming this summer and like the Jabari thing is probably even worse because Jabari Jabari like he has some games where he scores well but like I just not sure where he fits with that group and his and his defense is bad and it seems there have been rumors of him maybe not like really liking what's going on there obviously he's had the multiple knee injuries so like it's ugly and I was also looking yesterday at the Bucks just the Bucks drafts in general and building around Giannis since they picked Giannis. Like, mm-hmm. they had Jabari, which has turned out, unfortunately, the injury, he had to take the injuries into account. But then, like, they took Rashad Vaughn first round and then thought the Thon Maker pick at, what is that, like 10? Just, he's he's a complete non-factor. And then DJ Wilson from Michigan, who I kind of like coming out of Michigan. That might have been just tournament bias. But I think he's played less than, like, 100 minutes all season. So, like, you're looking at the last four first round picks since they took Giannis, and it's they've gotten like absolutely nothing about uh, nothing uh, out of them. Brogdon was obviously a nice second round pick, but I was going to say you're forgetting the rookie right, yeah, of the year, sir. The, second round pick. <laughs> the disrespect since, for Mister President since Giannis. Yeah. They've made one good draft pick, and just like that's, that's a great way to just screw up your core. And if you look at they had the the 2014 2015 season when they went that they made that surprise playoff run. They've they went backwards, I think, the next year, and they've then they they've been mediocre the last couple years. Like it's it's a good way to drive Giannis out of town. You know, he's a he's a cool dude. He seems to really like Milwaukee, down to earth guy. But like after after a while, if you just keep spinning your wheels like this, I, I, the guy's gonna want to go somewhere else and play and play to win. <laughs> the Giannis stuff is fascinating because I mean that was one of the things that was kind of under the radar last year. So if you go back and look at some of the comments Giannis made um, last summer, it was just the clock's ticking. Like he, there's only two years after this left on his deal and they have to nail this next head coaching uh, search because I mean, the early rumors was doc rivers who obviously has a, a playing ties with Milwaukee, but Boonholzer who is now rumored to be the favorite in Phoenix, which is super interesting. Um, and, I think Jaron Collins is going to be the next coach of the Hawks, but um, that's uh, maybe for another podcast. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's fascinating because the clock is ticking and they have a big decision to make with Jabari Parker this off season. And I already know that you're 
unbelievably excited for Jabari Parker to get the max offer sheet. Oh yeah, this, totally. uh, I can't, yeah, the hometown kid. That, uh, that, yeah, that sweet uh, combo of Parker and Levine. Him and marketing. Can you imagine the defensive stalwart and, and Zach Levine? Levine? They're gonna they're gonna max oh. gonna throw the max offer sheet at Parker and then they'll max Levine too. That would just be a great off season. <laughs> would you give up being a Bulls fan if they maxed out both of them this <laughs> summer? Uh, I would strongly consider it. I don't. I don't think I could quit okay. totally, but that, I mean, that would be uh, that'd be rough. I'm. I'm honestly not really worried about them doing that. I mean, they've preached. You know where I want Jabari? What's that? Do you know where I want Jabari where, to end that? up? New York. Oh man, there you go. I think him next to KP wouldn't be terrible, and the Knicks are already like. I mean, that's actually in my notes for later in this podcast about their head no, coaching God. search, which I am just absolutely loving. But um, I don't know, just seeing the way he plays next to Canner and obviously Jabari and Canner are different players, but I think you can be absolute trash defensively and still be okay when you have someone like KP and you have Frank Nilakina there. Yeah, um, they have a lot of plus defenders in this roster now. So I think you could do something with him. So I think the Knicks should be active there. I mean, they have their pick, so we'll see. But um he seems like somebody like if you put him on the spurs or like i don't know like who knows what happens with that but i, I don't see him being a buck after this year like it's just yeah. i don't all see a way of him and Giannis fitting together. That, it, that it's i feel like there's there's been reporting that he just isn't really liking it there and that it seems like the bucks are ready to move on so i was just not, i'm just not really sure where he fits but, i mean the bucks need they need a better big they, oh my god i know where he goes where? never mind i got it it's they're getting an early exit Damian Lillard's already oh, upset. <laughs> what if you put him in Portland? They have no way to get another star anytime soon. Just see, like, they throw a big offer, like, and then they send over, like, I don't know, Al Camino. Like, give the Bucks more um, wing depth who can't shoot. Uh, that, that's hey, Bino more four threes um, yesterday. Give him a break. That's true. Um, I don't know. That might be a sneaky good fit. Him and Zach Collins, and then throw him in there with those guys. I don't, know. I don't know. It wouldn't be terrible. Yeah, I would. Yeah, but I and I like don't want to give up on Jabari. Like he, he's had the knee injuries killed him. Obviously, he's still a talented scorer. Defense, he gets attacked. Seems like he he needs a the fit just in Milwaukee. Just isn't there. And I knew it seems like a fresh start would probably be better for him. So like, I don't want to I don't want to completely bail on the guy. But it has just been just been so ugly. And the Bucks are just like I said. Just a, I've been waiting. I thought maybe since that they were. Since once they dumped kid, maybe they'd make a little leap forward, but they need a new coach in there to completely kind of rehaul the whole thing. And and then Eric Bledsoe has been just embarrassingly bad basically in this series so far. And then the whole comments about Terry Rozier and all that, like they not helping your cause either there, pal. So just there's definitely another kind of like the Wizards, just a very a talented but super frustrating team where it's really really not sure where where they're where they're heading. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but at least they have Giannis, yeah. and that's like the big redeeming Indeed. factor. But Bledsoe's just not shooting well, and when he's not shooting well, and he's turning the ball I just, over, I just hate his decision like, making. I've, I I haven't watched a ton of Bucks games, but like every time I do watch them, I feel like he just does dumb stuff all the time. I think it was a uh, I was watching them. I think a late season game against the Lakers that was close, and just he was just doing just his decision making with just out of control drives or horrible three point shots like early in the shot. I was just like. Bro, what are you? What are you doing? Like, get the ball to Giannis or make a drive where you're not turning the ball over. Just like huh. it was just. Well, if you watch the Bucks a lot, and I've watched, I, I remember being frustrated like you, where it's just like I feel like Giannis doesn't bring the ball up enough. 
where they are just so much more terrifying when he's running up the floor, especially even when you have Jabari and Middleton and these guys, when Tony Snell, especially like, like that's his thing is like catch and shoot and yeah. like just pushing him off screens in the corner and everything else. But um, yeah, Bledsoe is just, but this is a team that doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Like in the regular season, they were not a turnover prone team, but they have just been a turnover machine in the playoffs. Yeah. And I don't know if part of that is Brad Stevens scheming it, to a situation where Bledsoe is just being destroyed um, by Rozier and just what Boston's throwing at him. But because I, I don't think he would be this bad against like Kyrie Irving. Um, so this is actually like a bad matchup for him getting Rozier yeah. and just how long and active and everything else. Like it's, it's a tough matchup, but um, he'd probably get like Marcus Smart, honestly, if he was healthy. So that yeah. would be good for him either. But uh yeah he should be better like he was a big deadline acquisition and he should be stepping up right now and he should be feasting on rosier like he doesn't have to go at Kyrie or market smart he should be having a good series like this should be a big thing for him and it's not happening but chris middleton i've been very impressed with like he's and that's not just the game one shot that he had he's just been really good for them and if you watch yeah, him, his numbers his numbers piece. have been huge these first two games yeah, these games wouldn't even be close if he wasn't uh, in the fold. So uh, Brogdon, I feel bad for because he's trying to yeah tough back situation on the fly, kind of yeah. Um, so I'm not making too much of his play thus far, but yeah, the Bucks they have a interesting offseason ahead of them. How depressed were you over seeing the Spurs bench um, <laughs> after their second half dem- demolition by the Warriors? KD and yeah, I mean, that, Spurs really are just an unfortunate. I mean, and I, I don't want to f- say that like I, f- I feel so bad for the Spurs who have won, who had won 50 games for whatever 18 straight years. But like, I mean, just they're just so completely overmatched, and and the whole Kawhi thing is. I mean, God, I have no idea where that's going. I mean, the way it's trending, it's he's not even going to be on the team next year. Which I like, I still can't even wrap my 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 mind. Did you see today that like they're still not exploring right. the possibility of trading? Yeah, I, there's so much weird, like, which is the right approach, by the way. Like they're not getting a good deal if they trade Kawhi. Like there's, it's just so rare. It's not like a Victor Oladipo. Suppose like even as good of a deal that is for has turned out to be for the Pacers. We've gone way too overboard about what they actually got for him. Uh, Oladipo's good. Sabonis is fine, but um, after seeing playoff P, I think I'd still rather have Paul George than Victor Oladipo. And I think most NBA GMs would too. Probably Oladipo has been. I mean, but even then, you couldn't. I mean, who predicted He's, Oladipo? I still don't think they won the trade because they lost their yeah, best I mean, player. I don't. It, it is really interesting. We'll see if I guess we'll see how Oladipo how this keeps going. He had an awesome game one. Yeah, they won forty eight games, which is I think more than they ever have once basically since like the Hibbert George West days. So like they were better mm-hmm. this year than they were the last couple of years, and Oladipo's numbers were basically on par, if not better, than George. Old Depot was incredible yeah. in game one. It's, if he keeps doing this, I, I mean, I think it's fine, but nobody saw Old Depot doing this. I mean, he, the, the amount of yeah. work that he put in to do this is, there's obviously some luck involved there for the Pacers to, for Old Depot to get that good. Because if he was just, if he just kind of stayed as he was, kind of plateaued as like a really nice player, but not a good player, I mean, they lose, they probably end up, instead of winning 48 games, they probably, what, went 38 or 39 and they're mediocre as hell. And, than everyone would have been, That's would have been right. Yeah. Be. I, I, yeah, I never thought, some people thought that they were going to be just completely terrible. I never thought that because they have, yeah. uh, they had other nice parts like Kyle Solid. Yeah, my, like, I was right there with you because they don't really have a bad player yeah. in the rotation. Like at worst, everybody's yeah, a bunch average. of solid guys. So I figured they'd be, I think, in the mid, mid to upper 30s. But since Oladipo basically turned into a bona fide all-star, that adds five to 10 wins there. And then you got to, 
and Sabonis ended up being, being pretty pretty good as well. Obviously, the other guys have turned out pretty nicely too. So like the Pacers got lucky with Oladipo turning into a borderline superstar player. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It, it'll it'll be interesting to see them going forward. I'm fascinated now after they beat the Cavaliers' ass in Game One to see how they how they come out in Game Two and if they can actually make the series. I'm I still would guess that they lose in like six. I think I picked Cavs in six to begin with, so I kind of actually feel good about that now. Cavs got their one terrible game out of the way, and I think they'll probably come back strong and end up beating the Pacers. But yeah, I don't know. Yet yeah, an interesting series, and I think we kind of. Uh, or I shouldn't say we. I, I'll just speak for myself here. I undervalued just how bad the Cavs defense is and how little they would be able to throw at Oladipo outside of LeBron. Like they really don't have like George Hill's not stopping him. Rodney Hood, like none of Jr. If you look up and down the list, it's like who's stopping Victor Oladipo in the series? Yeah, and Jeff I Green. Think it's one of the oh god. Yeah, I mean, it's just not good. And, I mean, Kevin Love obviously needs to shoot more and be more active in this series. But I, uh, I'm i also right there with you where it's just LeBron just being so calm and collective about just being down 0-1. Like, I think he's annoyed that he's having to already put the team on his back uh, in the first round and having to do this and go to war with Victor Oladipo. But I just I, – LeBron going down in the first round is just – I can't wrap my head around it. So – um, I think it. They end up figuring this out, and they probably win. Ga- if they lose game two, big just, trouble. Then it gets really interesting. But I, I, I could definitely see this being. I, I could see this out. being a series where they win game two, split in Indiana, and they come back and then win the next two games and win in six. So that would yeah. that would be my guess. But we'll see. Yeah, the Warriors, man. So I just love that they are now. We're back to oh, why did we ever doubt the Warriors? It's just. It, the overreactions over everything, like the Chris Paul, like out of bounds play, like, oh, the rock, like, see, Dan Tony just saying the season is still a success if they don't win the title and everything else, they don't measure it based on just that, which is not a ridiculous thing to say at all because they were a lot of fun. Chris Paul and James Harden had amazing seasons. Like, they were both top five um, in real plus minus. And just like what he did with Capella this year and just how good he's been, like, and Eric Gordon obviously being so good off the bench. Like, yeah, it's okay for him to say that this has been a successful year, even if they don't win the title or get to the finals. Like, this has been an amazing year for Houston, no matter what. And I, I just, I think we've also come back to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, the Warriors are fine, even with, they don't have Steph right now. They're starting Iguodala. Like, they don't really have a point guard out there. JaVel McGee is doing whatever he wants, but part of that is scheme. Like, I think Danny Green, like, openly talked about how they were, like, t- just, like, we'll let JaVale McGee do whatever he wants, but we're not letting these other guys beat us, and we're going to work hard in other ways. But Danny Green, shout out to him for that goose egg the other oh, day. Yeah, but brutal. Um, brutal game. Not good. I think he's only, like, 0 for 3, and it was just not great. But Bryn Forbes, by the way, don't know why he's still playing, but Pop's going, like, 13 deep in the series, which I mean, sure, but yeah, as Pau yeah, Gasol, yeah, it's really yeah, sad. going back. Yeah, like you mentioned, the depression on the Spurs bench. Just the, the you look at that roster, and, it, and it's amazing that they won as much as they did. Like, props to Aldridge, and I mean, props to even the role guys just for the system and pop and all that. Just you look at that team, and yeah, they're relying on freaking 40 year old Manu to be huge for them, and like, yeah, and he's been good yeah, in the series. Yeah, and they're like, Manu might be their like linchpin yeah. to like even and keep like, this competitive i mean patty mills had a good game too but pow is getting played off the court like he's been terrible and like rudy gay's been nice but like rudy gay's like your second best player you're in deep shit and then like i mean 
Wait, I have a sidebar question for you. How much do you think Kevin Durant loves shooting over corpse? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> because I think I wish they zoom in on his face whenever that happens. Because Pop had Forbes on him in Game One a lot, and he was just like, "It's not fair." Like Katie's too long. Why is Forbes on him? It just it looked like an, a high schooler playing like a fifth. Was grader. that the? Fa- it was. Someone like, tweeted a picture. Of, I think it was like a Getty Images or. Something. USA Today or something. I think KD was like levitating with the ball. I can't remember if it was Forbes guarding him or if it was somebody else. It was probably But Forbes. like he was just like a foot over the defender, just like levitating over him. I was like, yeah, that's probably, that's a really good just like snapshot of this series. Yeah. I mean, Looney's been really good for them. Quinn Cook's fine. Like the Warriors are fine, it turns out. And Iguodala starts doing these. I, I, one of the yeah, things, he was like yeah, things I, I always love night. talking about some Warriors people, just like, Iguodala is just obviously at this point of his career to sand sandbags the shit out of the regular season. He just does not really care. Like he'll try in a few big yeah. games, but like it's just not there. He's always dealing with Knicks, but then the playoffs, like he's turns into a freaking monster and now he's hitting threes and his defense is just all over the place. Like I'd really appreciate at the veteran at the state just making bank, barely trying in the regular season, but then he shows up when it matters. So so and that's just the whole yeah, the whole flipping the switch thing. I was never there was a part of me who I thought just since the Warriors have had all these injuries and the Rockets were so good, I, w- I had started to lean just – this was like not even my brain talking, just my gut feeling. You know what? Maybe it's just not the Warriors year. I kind of like the Rockets. But my brain is always like if the, if the Warriors are actually healthy and if Steph comes back and he's good, the Warriors are going to win. And right now they've turned it up. Some of it is just the Spurs being a sad old sack of nothing. But – the Warriors obviously have just looked much better in general with their intensity, and Clay Thompson is barely touching net on, on all of his shots, and KD's destroying, and Iguodala looks great again. So, yeah, I mean, right now, as the Warriors keep playing like this and stuff comes back great, they probably will win it all, and the Rockets did not look good in Game 1. The, it would have been hilarious if the Rockets would end up losing that Game 1 because it would have just been like all of their playoff demons. Chris Paul, I don't know what the hell he was doing in that Game 1. It was, it was one of, uh, Chris Paul, the Chris Paul playoff narrative is, narrative is kind of bogus because he has legitimately been great himself outside of like a few random collapses but he was just like completely out of it in game one and they needed basically Harden to go supernova to beat a Wolves team that didn't even play good at all like Jimmy was bad Towns was invisible like the Derrick Rose played a huge role like and the Rockets still almost lost because they were breaking all their threes and Chris Paul was vomiting all over himself so it would have been hilarious if that if they would have lost that game I, I would assume that they're Gonna, gonna be just fine but i mean the, the first game certainly did not inspire much confidence for them to actually go super super deep yeah and i mean if the wolves had stolen that game especially like a taking advantage of a bad jimmy butler game and beating the rockets that would have been great but i also don't i i'm so conflicted in this series because i just really want to get to Warriors yeah. rockets <laughs> but at the same time like i'm I love Jimmy. I really do. I I just I love Jimmy Butler, but I just I don't want to see this game. Ready for them to go. Yeah, the the Wolves. The Wolves has been an interesting. Like Derrick yeah. Rose played like twenty four minutes. minutes he had like, the highest 20... usage on their team, and like oh Crawford, him and Crawford combined for something like twenty five shots. Towns and Butler. Tyus Jones was really good yeah. for them, and he played like it's, seven it's just, minutes. I don't Tibbs, understand Tibbs that. Tr- loves Rose. He trusts Rose. He's gonna. He's looking for any excuse to play him. And I mean, and like what Rose did in that game one was basically as good as you can expect at this point. He shot 50%. He even made a three. He had a few assists. But then like you also saw like the problem with him doing so much. Like he took 
a ton of shots and he didn't get to the free throw line and he made a couple of terrible decisions that really ended up two times. He was guarding James Harden and Harden absolutely destroyed him. Not that Butler or anybody else did that much better, but like, why are you using Derrick Rose as like a primary defender on James Harden? I think I saw something like Harden scored like 25 points against him or something like that. Just like completely roasted him. So like, I mean, I almost, I almost feel bad for Rose. It was like, I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people try to in terms of on the court i still think he could be useful but like not when he's playing 25 minutes and a usage over 30 and guarding the, the mvp of the league like what what do you what are you what are you doing there so you're telling me derrick rose might not be the best option on james i Harden. would yeah i would think not it doesn't really at this point when harden's making shots like that it doesn't really matter because like he was racing jimmy yeah. down the stretch as well but like at least jimmy will make him work a little harder it'll be a little more physical with him and but like rose, see i wouldn't put jimmy on I, I mean, I would, I would have Wiggins on yeah. him. I, I just, my whole thing is like Wiggins has got to get to that point. Like he is so frustrating and that would be my thing. If I'm Tibbs, I'm like, this is your time, man. Like go out and do, go to the next level, do whatever. But I just, I what, don't know. a lot of people talk about Wiggins and obviously his offense and like his shooting is really underwhelming, but like he could be on this team with towns and Jimmy as like the main options. Like, he just needs to turn himself into just like a complete menace defensively. Where it's, it's like, I mean, he should, like, I just don't get why. He, I, just like the instincts, the awareness just isn't there. And he doesn't have the motor all the time. But like with his length and his athleticism, he should be a complete lockdown defender. And like sometimes you see it, but a lot of times, a lot of times you just don't. Like he could just be an absolute stud as a decent scoring option, but just unbelievable defender. And just, it just isn't there. That, that contract is about to look real real ugly if he doesn't make a big step and at this point i don't know how much better he's going to get with jimmy there and towns there as the main options yeah they're gonna be maybe tibbs by playing rose a lot down the stretch he's just doing everything he can to sabotage his <laughs> own um, front office role so he just um, wants to make it easy for glenn taylor to strip him of um executive vice president or whatever title he has um to oversee everything so uh, but then again, like, I don't know if it's even a better idea, like ask Knicks fans how they feel about Scott Layden um, in his time in New York. So I don't know if giving him more power is the right answer either. But yeah, it turns out adding Derrick Rose is not going to be a difference maker for the Wolves and the playoffs. And I think this might upset Wolves fans, but I think the Nuggets would have given the Rockets a more compelling series. Like, I think it would have been a lot more fun seeing Jokic in the playoffs, I think. And I, that's, this is uh, as someone who loves Jimmy Butler and loves Towns, but I, I just don't think the Wolves are going to be able to stop them. And I mean, it's not like the Denver Nuggets are defensive juggernauts or anything, but I do think Harris would have been more interesting in this series. And I, I'm just really intrigued with him in general, but and just seeing those guys in there and that young team uh, take the next step. But um no, we didn't get that, and I think this is a sweep, right? Like, I, I think the sweep. I was shocked that the first game was close. The Rockets. Yeah. I mean, we'll see if the Rockets shoot whatever. They're like sub twenty percent. Like I think Harden. Well, they're seven and zero against the Wolves. Yeah. The last seven. I mean, because they the, the Rockets won every regular season game by a ton. The only reason this game was close really was the Rockets shot. I think Harden was great from three. But his teammates were like three at twenty five. The Rockets even just shoot close to their normal from three. I would assume these games are going to be blowouts. I mean. The Wolves and they're doing it kind of shorthanded. I mean, they're they were missing Ryan Anderson in game no, one, and even though he's not as big of a guy as he was, I mean, they still don't have um, Luke Richard. Yeah. 
either. Like, and he's a big piece too. So they had to play PG Tucker a lot of minutes. They had to play uh, a lot of guys Joe that Green. I mean, Joe Green, Joe Johnson, like yeah, Joe Johnson's like, useless uh, at this point. It seems like he seems like he's pretty. Well it seems up. like his is the wrist thing, though. I just I feel bad for him because he just can't shoot yeah. this year. And if he can't shoot, he's yeah, just not, there's you can't for play. Sure. But he had a good uh, shot to Joe Johnson for that run last year. With yeah, the that was that was, was kind of out of nowhere. He had a lot of big shots in that. He Clippers was, yeah, series. he was awesome. Like if you go to guy in the fourth quarter, it was kind of wild. And this year, just yeah, it just has not not worked out for him. So yeah, I I definitely I picked a sweep before this series and started. I did not think a game would be in single digits. I was wrong about that latter part, but I would still be surprised if the Wolves win a game. I mean, I guess if Towns and Butler have a game where they go nuclear, maybe they still do. But I, I, if the Rockets shoot threes, just if they make double-digit threes or, or whatever, at a, whatever, 14, 15 threes like they usually do, like, I just don't see how the Wolves can keep up with them. They, they just don't shoot threes at all. or They rarely shoot threes that make like eight or nine a game. and just, It's just a really hard thing to make up when another team is outscoring you by whatever, 15 to 20 points from three. Yeah. Um, are the Blazers done? Do you think this is over already, or is there a chance they can come back in this I would still say, say there's a chance because – as good as the Pelicans have looked and winning two games in the road is huge. We still have not seen these games have been close despite Dame being basically terrible. McCollum hasn't been that much better. And I am interested to see how the Pelicans, I mean, they basically, they can't rely on their bench at all. I mean, we, you look at their, their starters and like Davis, Rondo, holiday, Miritich, uh, whatever more. I mean, these guys are all playing huge minutes. So if the Blazers can kind of, get this stretched out a bit and maybe maybe the pelicans some of their main guys wear down i mean right now i would definitely bet on the pelicans winning this series but if dame can finally would not be terrible i mean the pelicans do deserve credit for what they're doing they're blitzing, blitzing on pick and rolls getting it out of his hands and he's just not making shot tough shots that he made has made a habit of making but i mean i mean the i've been really impressed with what they've done the playoff rondo thing second year in a row this goofiness has happened where his team wins the first two on the road. I guess the Pelicans have to knock on wood that he doesn't break his hand doing something stupid in the next couple of days. So I would certainly guess that the Pelicans won up winning this series. I would, they just basically, if they can win one of these next two games, go up 3-1, they should be, should be pretty safe then. But I will not rule out the Blazers coming back because they do have some nice bench guys that really help, and the Pelicans don't. And then if Dame and CJ can actually wake up and do something that – They'll, they'll have a chance because these games have been super close and it's been kind of, they've come down right to the end where, and Drew Holiday has made huge plays on both ends in both games. I'm glad you brought up Drew Holiday because Chris Herring had a great piece. I don't know if you saw it today on 538 about Drew Holiday and just what he's done in the series. So Lillard, I think, I'm not sure if it was last night or combined stats, but he did not score when Holiday was on. Yeah, I saw, I think, o, and, o of 8 shooting. Was it the last yeah. night or both games? It was something like that, but yeah, he had, not made a basket or something like that. holiday. So I think the series is over if holiday stays healthy. Like, I think that might be it because it's clear that holiday just is a terrible matchup for Dame and he's just making his life a living hell. And it's just, if holiday's there and he's working him like he is like, if I'm worried about the Portland, because if you're and this certainly seems like the general sentiment here is if you're relying on, the Pelicans to basically break down after already being down 2-0, you're yeah. in trouble. That means oh, you're yeah. answers in, outside of trouble. like, let's hope for injuries, which I never root for. But like, if you're a Blazers fan, like that's kind of what you're thinking, right? It's like, ugh, if we just 
can get one of these guys out of there or they just get tired or run down or something, that's our best shot. But like, that's not good. No, if not. that's all you can uh, turn to of like, well, they really kind of like those starters and holiday and Davis just going to this other level. Like, I don't really know what else they can do. Yeah, I mean, so is Rondo and Nico has been incredible. And Etuan Moore saw too. Etuan Moore guarded Dame for a good chunk of last night's game. And does, yeah, Moore, so, yeah, so Moore was a really good player with the Bulls. It's really a shame that they let him go. I mean, it's, they basically let him go so they could sign Rondo and Wade a couple of summers ago, which is unbelievable. And yeah. I mean, I, well, now you have Cameron Payne, so things are better than ever. <laughs> hey, Cameron Payne looked good at the end of the year, and John Paxton's excited about the Chris Dunn Cameron Payne duo. For oh, him, can they please start those two together to start next season? I'm 100. percent I'll pass that. on that. But uh, okay. back back to the Blazers, uh, and it'll be, they kind of they feel like they have some interesting decisions to make, maybe in terms of just like their rotation as well. Because Nurkic, they, like sort of game one, Nurk, well Nurkic got hurt yesterday. He didn't play the, the end of the, uh, the last. I think he played 15 minutes total and didn't play in the second half or almost close to the most of the second half. Uh, but even like the beginning of the game, like they started the game like force feeding him in the post, and he took like seven shots in five minutes. And he's not sure he's the best matchup there. Like Zach Collins did some pretty nice things, and Ed Davis is a nice nice role player. Like I wonder if like I don't even know if losing Nurkic would be that huge of that big of a deal. Uh, I mean, they they certainly have to do something to get Dame better looks because, like I said, they they've been really hedging the crap out of those screens and getting the ball out of his hands. And the the six uh, the Pelicans will live with Aminu. Guys like Aminu and Harkless and Zach Collins, they'll live with them shooting open threes all day. Like if they make them, like Aminu did yesterday, if they make them, they make them. But I mean, they'll take that over Dame and or CJ like going all over them. So I am curious to see what kind of adjustments they make. I know Evan Turner got hurt as well. I think one adjustment they, they can make is hope that Evan either just don't play Evan Turner if he is healthy enough, or I know he hurt his like toe yesterday and just hope that he doesn't play because he is absolutely atrocious and the Pelicans just don't even bother guarding him. I think he had. Zero point. He basically pulled up Jeff Green yesterday, like zero points on zero of six shooting. Not even close with any of his jumpers. So Harkless did. Harkless didn't make a nice impact yesterday. So yeah, I guess the the Blazers basically have to hope that Damon CJ really fill it up, and then maybe if the Pelicans have to suffer a key injury, because obviously when you lose the first two games at home, that's big trouble. The Blazers just look like a lottery team when Dame's just not playing well. It just, they don't look great and they don't really know what they're doing. It seems like, like they panic when Dame's struggling because it's just everybody plays so much better. And there's just the burden that Dame carries for this team is just insane. And I feel kind of bad for Stotts here because I think he's going to be under a lot of scrutiny, especially if they go down like 4-1 or 4-0. But this was a top 10 defense this year. And I think a lot of people are looking at this of like, oh, that was a admiration like that was just that was an aberration and this was something that was not real and we should have seen this coming and that they have no answers for davis and holiday and everybody else but i don't know i I still think this just might be a bad matchup um you know what is interesting though with this series it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people bringing up the fact that like oh does this mean that boogie is not good for this team because they are playing so much better with miritich and davis is that a thing um haven't really seen that take yet uh, I think I've seen maybe random people, but I mean, it certainly is interesting. It's a, I was going to say, because like, I mean, Boogie changes the whole dynamic there just with their style and he's going to be coming off an Achilles injury, which is a terrible injury and he's going to want a lot of money. And I mean, I would assume that if, as, as long as the medicals check out and he, they seem, they think he's gonna be all right. I would assume that they're going to bring him back. It's more talent. You have 
Nico there on the bench. They, he's got that team option for next year. That I'm pretty sure they locked that in by doing that trade. I'm pretty sure that that was like a, a part of it. it had to happen be part of the trade. And I mean, it, and it was the it, it, you know Isaiah Thomas is going oh, through this summer too, right? It was it, that'd be ridiculous. But they have so so little depth. Where like yeah. they, so you bring back Boogie and then you have Nico as like your sixth man. Like I, I think that makes sense. And I mean they were they were playing yeah. well with Boogie. So like it's I like I don't know if they would still like still be uh, playing as well as they are right now. But like I, I think it's kind of I mean the Pelicans would be a three seed if uh, Miritich had shaved his beard yeah, before exactly. the end of the regular like, season. He's a totally different player because he was struggling low key down the stretch and that did not look like a good trade for the pelicans um for a little bit but he has played a lot better in the playoffs yeah so which is he's, he's never done he was awful in the playoffs always with the bulls like it's nice to see him finally like i it's so, it's so funny because like i i was always on the mirrored bandwagon the last couple of years even even with him being inconsistent like i was all about him and then this year when he got i kind of just gave up on him and then he got then he got punched in the face by Bobby Portis and broke his face. And I was just like, all right, I'm just kind of out on this guy. And then of course he comes back and starts playing the best basketball of his life. And the, I want him to not do that as the bulls are trying to tank, but they ended up getting in the first round pick out of him, which is nice. And like you said, he kind of struggled a bit at first with the Pelicans, but now he's like, I mean, he's been terrific. Legitimately. The Pelicans better not do what the wizards do. And it was basically the same deal where they had the rental, they yeah. gave up a first round pick, a late one for it, but they have to retain me. I'm, I'm pretty sure with... as like a part of the trade, like they made sure that they picked up the team option. So I think I'm okay. pretty sure he is under control for them for next year, like twelve million a year, which is like a solid number for a good six man if he's gonna be that or fill in I mean, who knows? I mean Boogie, who knows when he'll be back. So like I would assume yeah. I, mean, I don't even think I would guess he won't be ready for the start of next season. So like Meritage will be there starting power forward next year until boogie returns if they bring him back so like it'll be good to have him around they did they did lock that in so that's 12.5 million for next year so they'll have him around uh more they, the pelicans could always get omar Ashik back God. yeah uh <laughs> they still have solomon hill getting hurt really cold because i feel like he could be maybe an all right bench guy as like a three four swing forward yeah, he's whatever 13 million like the next couple of years is pretty brutal that was a terrible deal. He yeah. he got that deal based solely, I think, on that one playoff series where he shot incredibly well from three, played really well, and he parlayed that during that huge summer into getting a, a really big deal, which is just yeah. I'm serious about Isaiah going there. I think the chip on your shoulder guy like is a good spot for them. He could play next to Holiday. I don't think they're going to bring back Rondo. Um, you don't like I'm, Rondo has played for like five teams for like the last I'm five curious. years. I'm like, curious. They staying. win this series, they go to they, make, they go to the second round, they'll lose the Warriors like. I'm also guys curious, like if maybe so another team gives Rondo like an MLE offer. Is I would assume no cap team with caps. There, there, first of all, there won't be that many teams with cap space, so a lot of teams yeah. will be using that MLE. Like I wonder maybe if they will give teams will look to Rondo to give an MLE. Rondo is just just I've always disliked Rondo and I hated the Bulls signing him, and like he was so bad for most of last season, and that's. Like he was borderline out of the league for after a couple of just absolutely terrible seasons. Like he, the the Mavericks thing was a joke. The Kings, he just basically kind of racked up assists on a bad team. With the Bulls, he was terrible for half, like three quarters of the season, and got benched at one point, and then he came back and absolutely destroyed it in March, and then was huge in those huge in game two, especially in the playoffs. And then he breaks his hand and he's done. And like that kind of happened again this year. Like he was kind of he's just been kind of all right throughout the year. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Pelicans were getting like his on-off 
on-off differentials were not positive for him. And that's been like the same thing, like the same thing for him, like the last like four or five years. The team is always better when he's on the bench. But then now the playoffs roll around and freaking playoff Rondo shows up. So he's his whole just like NBA existence at this point is absolutely hilarious. So really, it will be interesting to see what if the Falcons try to keep him or if someone throws him money because he's getting he's getting up there in age, but he still shows at times when he tries he can be a really good player. He doesn't really he tries like he's kind of like Iguodala, but not. On like I guess a championship team and also kind of a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a Rondo take! Um, I'm gonna call this the Rajan Rondo episode. Um, very quickly, do can we talk about the Knicks fucking this up again? Oh, absolutely! Oh, it's down for some Knicks slander. Oh my god! So Knicks fans, a don't deserve this. B like. Just the, uh, my, one of my favorite things I've seen on Twitter this week was the Mark oh. Jackson like timeline in Golden State of everything. Incredible. Uh, he, I don't think he's gonna get. But this was my whole thing. I like I wrote a piece last year on the Scott Perry hire of like they were celebrating this hire of like oh stability. He has a pretty good tracker. No, he doesn't. His time in Orlando and Sacramento was terrible. The whenever you have the opportunity to bring someone in from Sacramento, you say no. No, what, what Scott Perry is probably like he's fine, but Steve Mills is still there, and as long as Steve Mills is there, this is just going to be a dumpster fire. And I, I just feel bad for KP because KP, um, I think has already said that he's like he is giving, he's going to trust yeah. an office and blah blah blah, and it's like no, you don't have to, you you don't have to do that. Um, I don't know, I, I just the, the Mark the Mark Jackson hive is insane. Like I I every every. I don't think he's going to get it. I don't think it's I, real. I think some of it is honestly, I think so, it seems like he has some friends in the media that yeah. are really like, I saw his solo push Mark Jackson, like Mark Berman is writing a column basically every day about Mark Jackson. I, I think some of this is buddy, buddy stuff with the, some guys in the New York media that are pushing it. But I would kind of be surprised. Yeah, I, I, every time there's a job opening, I see on Twitter, people like say, they make, bring up Mark Jackson. It's, it's like, do you not remember how things went in golden state? Like, I think they they see that Golden that he helped get Golden State bet like they started to get better under him. Like that's fair. Jared Dubin went ahead and destroyed. Yeah, like that take. yeah, but like right, like they got better. They were never a top ten they, offense. Yeah, they were a, they were mediocre Thompson. offense with two of the best shooters of all time. They had a bunch a bunch of really good defensive players. Well, like Bogut was great. Clay Clay was good. Uh, so I, I mean, you could give them some credit. You could give Jackson some credit for instilling some defensive philosophy some commitment to that sure but like like you said the, the offense thing the offense was garbage they moving on from hornacek is fine like i yeah. get it like they led the league in uh twos like they were a mid-range heavy team like it it was just time he different regime they did they want their own guy whatever that's defensible but, what's not defensible is the names and their logic of like getting someone that has notoriety that has name recognition with knicks fans because it's just <sighs> The lack of awareness for some teams is astounding to me. And as a Bulls fan, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Of just like, the fuck are you talking about? I just I don't understand how many years it's going to take for James Dolan to just like, I, I just don't get it. This is such a dumb team. But my pick, who I I haven't really seen him rumored here, but I think they're going to hire Frank Vogel. I still think that's who they ultimately think he up, was, would not be yeah, a terrible hire, but rumored, it feels Frank I think he was rum, rumored to them before they hired Hornets. Like, I think he was a finalist, yeah. which would make kind of sense. Vogel got, obviously got a raw deal with the, the Magic are 
we talk about the Knicks and Kings as teams that are a joke. The Magic have probably been an even bigger joke for the last couple of years. But yeah, that would make sense. But going back to Mark Jackson for one second, you brought up like that the whole timeline. I'm looking at a somebody on Twitter right now who changed his name to official Mark Jackson slander account. <laughs> uh, it's actually at the Alex Wolf, but he changed the actual the other name to official Mark Jackson slander account. And he's going through basically all that the timeline. We have the coup against John Stockton. The ext- getting extorted by strippers, the trying to take Steph Curry or trying to heal Steph Curry's ankles with like magic water or oil, the whole Warriors front office and Joe Laka basically hating him, and David Gri- Darren Ehrman rec- yeah, the, like the, recording the him because coach, he was just trying to catch him yeah, with his crazy. There shit. was weird stuff about Festus Azili, I think, yeah. and like turning players against each other. David Griffin. I was going to say, you even got into Harrison yeah, Barnes. Weird yet. Harrison Barnes. Demon so like, who knows how true that is. David Griffin wouldn't even, would not hire him with the Cavs and they brought him up. Like, it is just a long, long list of goofy ass shit. So like they. Wait, speaking of David Griffin, by the way, he could have been the general yeah, manager of the Knicks. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know why. The Knicks had an opportunity at David Griffin. Oh my God. Just, just, just stupid stuff. It's. And it's, and this guy, this yeah, this threat is going on for like he's already, he's already up to reason like fifteen or sixteen with all these links, and I totally agree with them. Like I I, I know Bomani Jones was also fighting off the Mark Jackson hive recently, and I, it's just kind of crazy. Like so, I had a guy tell, come in come in my mentions tell me that that Mark Jackson is getting Colin Kaepernick, and it's like, dude, like no, <laughs> absolutely not. Like you're out of your mind. Just go read about some of the stuff with Mark Jackson and, and realize the Knicks can do better. They can, I, I know like the Knicks are obviously, they've been horrible and a joke, but they can do better. Knicks fans deserve better. They've been long-suffering for too long. It'd be better if the Knicks were better, as much as I like to make fun of them. Get the damn higher right, and hopefully Porzingis comes back healthy, and the Knicks can actually be good again and not a complete dumpster fire. If the Spurs came to the Knicks and a Kawhi for KP deal, like that's the starter, would you do it if you're in New York? I mean, I guess if you get the guarantee that he, that Kawhi is resigning there, I guess I probably would do it. Because, like, and I guess you need to. It wouldn't even, like, be, like, a probably for me. It'd be a definite. Like, I don't think KP's ever going to be a top five player, and I like KP. But Leonard is just pro. too good. I mean, obviously, the the Kawhi stuff, he's, who knows what's going on with this, his injury, his quad injury. But, like, yeah, he's basically true. in his prime. We, when he's healthy, he's a top five player. KP looks awesome unicorn all that stuff but he's getting he gets injured every season he'll be coming off a torn acl like, i think kp is going to be great he's a good player to build around but yeah i mean Kawhi, when healthy is a legitimate top five borderline top three player and i would yeah i would do it for sure okay who is your pick who do you think they're ultimately gonna hire the knicks yeah i don't know i i guess i could see them going with either i don't know with who else that fisdale right and then stackhouse Oh my God, Fizdale is not taking that job. Like Fizdale, it, let's not overthink this NBA. Fizdale, put him in Milwaukee. That where make, he belongs. Put him with Giannis. Put him in Milwaukee. Budenholzer should go to the Suns, and hopefully the Hawks can find a way to get one of their first round picks out of this. But um, that makes sense. He has like a home in Arizona. Just uh, don't overthink this. I want the right coaches <laughs> to go to the right places. And that makes sense. I'm always bad at the coaches thing, but I don't know. I feel like when I mentioned Stackhouse, I feel like. Him going to Stackhouse is interesting. I, I feel like him going would make sense maybe with the Hornets. I, I mean, I just made the North Carolina connection because they Jordan's there. And Mc, Mc, they just hired Mitch Kupchak as GM. 
uh, and Stackhouse seems like an, a good up and coming guy. I think that seems like that would make a lot of sense. Who knows if he'll actually go there, but it seems like he, he's at least being intriguing. I guess I don't know if the, if the Knicks are going for the notoriety role and well known, maybe they wouldn't hire Stackhouse, and maybe like that's where I guess Vogel would make some sense since he has had success. He's a known name. Uh, as, as long as they don't hire Mark Jackson, or I love the fact that they they're supposedly interviewing Mike Woodson again because. The East is getting so big with the pay, with the Sixers coming around, so they they really need to get bring that Mike Woodson. I was I joked the other day that I hope they hire Mark Jackson as head coach and then Mike Woodson as associate head coach, and which would just be for just oh, for God. just for the uh, the lulls there would be hilarious. But I, I guess we'll see. I just I, I generally do hope the Knicks don't nick it up and screw it up. Well, they're going to. They they probably will, but let's I'll, I'll cross your fingers and hope that they actually do something right for once. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I would not hold your breath. Um, poor Knicks fans. That's a good way of ending this podcast, <laughs> poor Knicks fans. Um, and then, you know, who knows what the Hawks do with their head coach yeah. search. I think they're going to get, like, Schlink's going to get a Golden State assistant. I don't think it's going to be Mike Brown. I hope it's not Mike Brown. But I think it's going to be Jaron Collins. So we'll we'll see. Um, all right, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I always love, always love talking playoffs and Obviously, a lot of stuff happening this time of year, so thanks for uh, having me on again. Yeah, man. Uh, we can follow you on Twitter at Bulls underscore J, and we can... Uh, where can we read you right now? Because I um, I know you're back at Bulls Blogger and a couple of other uh, places now, yeah. right? so, Step back? Oh, uh, yeah. Fan-sided step back. I guess just today, all the fan-sided NBA stuff is now going under like a step back. Um, I guess the step back and fan-sided NBA is basically just like one, one entity now, kind of just combined. So yeah, fan-sided slash the step back NBA stuff, uh, bloggable. I'll hopefully start doing a little bit more uh, there for some bull stuff as draft season comes up and the off season will be a big off season for them. And basically those two places right now, I'm uh, looking, looking elsewhere as well. Because unfortunately the, uh, the old fan rag thing uh, went by the wayside due to some budget issues with the company. So I'm, I'm uh, doing those two places right now. I'm looking, looking for other places. So, but I'll always, always be all over Twitter following these playoffs pretty pretty hard right now with uh fan side and doing doing stuff every night for them so yeah all right man well good luck with everything and uh let's talk absolutely thanks thanks a bunch have a good one and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast or itunes i would really appreciate if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we will be back another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. 
Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.